don't worry, they found me. Um, just before I start, I'm going to plug the book again, um, because the story I'm about to tell, um, if you want to hear more stories like that, they'll be in the book. So um, I just thought, you know, seamless little link <laughs> before I start. Um, so for those of you who don't know, uh, I worked in India for a couple of years before I moved back to the UK and worked um, for the church and latterly got ordained. Um, and while I was there um, working for this particular charity, this charity that looks after orphans of um, HIV and AIDS victims, so the children themselves don't have HIV but their parents um, did or uh, were deceased from, from illnesses related to that. Um, and they uh, would take in these kids uh, and they would also work with the women uh, caught up in, in the sex trade, caught up in prostitution, um, to alleviate them from poverty and to break that cycle for those women. So they had contact with the women and they had uh, three children's homes for the children. That is a very short summer. If you want to know more, you can ask me. I can talk about it for hours. Um, and there was this one particular girl who I'm going to call Zoe. That wasn't her name, as you can tell. That's not a very um, Indian name. Um, she's called Zoe, and she turned 12. It was her birthday. And so for some of these kids, their families come to visit them, the extended families who perhaps are still caught uh, in the poverty cycle and um, aren't, aren't able to look after these children because they're the extended family, and they just don't want anything to do with them because their families um, were caught up in prostitution, etc., etc. Uh, and there's a, there's a lot of um, cultural disdain for, for that situation. So it was this one girl's particular birthday, Zoe, um, and at the age of 12, she'd also started her period, um, and so that's quite a big deal if you're living in a children's home. Um, and her family came to visit. I think it was a great uncle. And um, what later transpired was that she had been persuaded by this great uncle uh, that they now could look after her. And so he had essentially kidnapped this child from the children's home. Um, and the first we found out about it, uh, the team were in the car going to the red light district where this uncle actually lived. Um, this uncle had the intention, we believe, of selling this child. Now she'd come of age uh, into prostitution. They searched for the whole day into the night. Um, they went to every single house that they knew of, um, or shack that they knew of, with the women that they had contact with already. And they said, have you seen Zoe? We need to know where she is. The, the fear for this child was huge. Um, and so they went to every house and every woman told them she was somewhere else and perhaps she was somewhere else. Eventually, uh, she returned home with the team at 1 a.m. in the morning. They had found her locked in a back room with her bag, weeping because she was so scared. But they had found her. When she walked through that door, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that is a look you will never forget of a child that has been found. I wonder which of us have ever felt so lost that we were desperate to be found. The story we read today, the prodigal son, the lost son, isn't unfamiliar to us. We read it again and again and again in our Christian walks. Perhaps if you're new to the Christian faith, this story is beautiful. But I believe 
that God's word speaks to us again and again when we read it. And that as it does so, God will move in our hearts and transform our lives. God's word is not dead. God's word is alive. And so I believe that God wants to say something to you today. And I was just talking to Tom and the sense of the spirit in this place is strong today. God is on the move and he wants to speak to you. And so you can listen to my talk and learn something. That's great. But what I pray for all of us here today is that God would move in your hearts and we would learn what it means to have a heart for the lost. What happens before this story with the prodigal son is really important because what's happening is the Pharisees are muttering. They're muttering that Jesus sits and eats and welcomes sinners. The kind of sinners Jesus would have been welcoming would have been prostitutes, would have been tax collectors, would have been the lowest of the low who the Pharisees believed couldn't repent enough to be redeemed. Their repentance, no matter how many times they did it, would never be enough because they got life so wrong. And then Jesus, in response to that, instead of telling them, no, you're wrong, actually, and having a little fight, he just unfolds this beautiful story of things that were lost, that were found. Now, something I think that we can learn in understanding what it means to have a heart for the lost is that Jesus takes people from a place of physical understanding to a place of understanding the person's heart. He starts with the sheep. Everyone in that culture would have understood what it meant to have sheep. Everyone in that culture would have understood that that was someone's livelihood and to lose one was to lose so much of their wealth, of their possibilities. And so he starts with the physical. You can understand that. You can understand why it's important to find the sheep. I um, was trying to think of what this might be like for us today, which is quite hard in leafy Surrey. Unless anyone has a sheep, I don't know. Apologies if you're the one person in the congregation with a sheep. Um, And I thought perhaps it's when we lose a document. You have hundreds of documents that look, they all look the same. And when you search and it goes for hours and hours and hours searching, just to find that one document, perhaps you have to go and take that one document and suddenly it's important, like I'm getting ordained again at the end of June and I had to find my degree certificate. Could I find it when I needed it? No, but has it been around all the time? (laughs) Yes. But that one document, we search and we search and we need it and we find it. And then Jesus moves on to the money. He moves on to the money. He's talking to not only the Pharisees, but to to the gathered crowd. It says he's in a crowd. And he moves on to the money because that is the world in which those Pharisees are living. They're living in a world where they are after wealth and affluence and being the, the top dog in that culture and that society. So they're still understanding. They're still like, okay, yeah, I can understand why you'd search for a silver coin. That's important. So he's, he's hooked them in with these stories, and they're like, what, what else is he going to tell us of something that is lost? And then he, we move to the story of the prodigal. Now, I was telling Matt this morning about my talk, and he said, what does prodigal mean? And so I started explaining that it means extravagance, recklessness, indulgence, 
And he said, does that make you a prodigal wife? (laughs) Now, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I'm going to take it as a good thing. (laughs) And he moves to this story. And actually what's happening in that culture at the time and what would have been heard is really important because I think so often we hear this story wrong. In the Hebrew culture of the time, for that son to say to his father, I want your inheritance, is essentially like saying to the father, I wish you were dead. You are in the way of my possibilities. You are in the way of my dreams. I want your money and I do not care for your estate. Give me my inheritance. I wish you were dead. Just for a moment, for those of you who who have children, imagine what that must have been like. But the father gives his son the money. And the son goes off, and we know he, he's prodigal about it. He's reckless with the money. He spends it all, and you heard the story. And at home is this older son doing all the right things, being the perfect son, serving on the land, waiting for the right time for his father to pass away to get his inheritance. He's got things in the correct order. The younger son is completely out of order on many levels. The younger son has the order of the culture wrong. And so the Pharisees are hearing this thinking that son is irredeemable. And they are hooked, right? They are hooked because what is the father going to say? He's been talking about losing things. This son has gone off. When Jesus then says the son decides to come back, those Pharisees are listening. But do you know who else is also listening? The ones who know they've got it that wrong too. The ones who are the sinners that Jesus sits and eats with and welcomes. They're listening intently. What is the Father going to do? What does my salvation look like in this moment? And what happens? The Father, filled with compassion, runs out to the Son when he was a long way off. Another thing we need to understand is that to run with all his flowing tunics, imagine Tom in his robes trying to run. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever seen me in my robes, but I trip over them when I'm trying to give out communion and things. Um, They're quite dangerous, actually, to wear. So he would have lifted them up, and he would have ran. Now, lifting up his robes would have been really, really just not done at the time. It would have been a loss of dignity for that father to run out to his son who has previously, the last thing that was said was, I wish you were dead, in other words. And he runs out through the mud and the dirt and he embraces his son and he kisses him and he loves him. I love this painting by Charlie Maxey, the embrace and the slump of the son into his father's arms. But what's the first thing that the son does? He repents. He says, I got it completely wrong. I'm so sorry. But I don't think the father's listening. If you read that passage, I really don't think that father's listening. He is just so glad that that son is back in his arms, in his house. And he says, quick to his servants. Go and get the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate because the son, my son who was dead is alive. Let's celebrate. Give him a ring. Give him a robe. This son wished he was dead. And so the Pharisees are listening. This is a really controversial response from this father. 
they are, they are surely very confused by this situation. How on earth could this son, who was so out of order, who got the culture so out of order, who had a lack of compassion for the family, for the way things were done, how could this son be welcomed back like this? And those listening, for whom that was their life, for whom they knew what their sin was, and they knew they were unwelcome and unwanted, suddenly... This story, this narrative that they're hearing says, you are welcomed home in spite of what you've done. There is a sacrifice required in having a heart for the lost. There's loads of sacrifices throughout this story, but the father lifting his tunic, the father running to the son, that lack of dignity, that sacrifice of his own dignity, of his pride. He would have been so hurt, and yet he's filled with compassion. The sacrifice, even of the fattened calf, the sacrifice, it takes something of ourselves to have a heart for the lost, to learn to love the lost. But then you have the older son. The older son who we so often think, ah, yes, he's the, he's the rule keeper. And so many of us can be the rule keeper. And so this story is for both of us. But I want to tell you now that the prodigal in this story is neither of the sons, first and foremost. Yes, on a worldly level, the younger son was prodigal. He was extravagant. He was spending all his money on prostitutes and fine dining and all sorts of things. He was extravagant and reckless. But the prodigal in this story is the father. The extravagance of his love, the extravagance of his sacrifice, that to those listening was reckless. That's what we need to have an understanding of in order to have a heart for the lost. If we don't understand the Father's heart, our heart for the lost is misaligned. Our heart for the lost looks like our own strength. Our heart for the lost looks like the older son. Doing the right things, but yet still being separate from his father. He's standing outside the party. The father runs to the younger son But the father goes out to the older son. The action, the extravagance, the prodigal is the father going to both the sons. It doesn't matter whether you are the rule keeper or the sinner that knows exactly what you've done and why you are separated from the father. The father's heart is to extravagantly love you. To love you even though We don't deserve it. To sacrifice his only son that we might know that love. And when we understand the Father's heart for ourselves, when we understand that grace, when we are found in that grace, then we can start to learn what it looks like to use that model that Jesus used, to understand people, to meet them where they are at. To tell them a story of the sheep. To tell them a story of the money. And then to get to the heart of the matter, which is you are loved and you are welcomed in. Now, this is just a little sideline. This is the prodigal daughter painting by Charlie Maxey. Now, men, 
For you, this story may always resonate because it's about the sons. But I find that sometimes for women, we like to project it onto other things and not actually take it into our own hearts. Look at that woman in the father's arms. The desperation and the longing to be back in the right place with the father. To recognize that extravagant love. The only response to knowing that extravagant love is to pour it out into the hearts of other people. The woman that runs the project I worked with in India is called Bina. She was the person that demanded that that team went and searched for that girl. A needle in a haystack. I don't know if any of you have ever been to a slum area in India, but trying to find one person in amongst that community is a crazy thought. But she loved that girl so much. And she knew that the choices that she would have to make from that point, if she had stayed in that place, would be so out of line with what the father had for her that she searched for her. And she searches because she knows that extravagant love. And we can search for those who are lost if we know that extravagant love. It is the Father's heart first. The Father that comes to us and then we respond. It's not about what we can do in our own strength. It never is. If you can, I'd love you to stand right now. Now, there's something of the story of the prodigal son where he is running to the father. We're going to pray in a moment. And I think there's a few things that the Lord wants to do for people here. But I think the Lord wants to speak to every single one of you. So if what I say isn't what God is doing in your heart, that's irrelevant. Let God do the work in in you. Respond to him, not to me. Respond to him. And I'm going to ask some of you to come to the front for prayer. So those of you who are equipped in this church to pray um, and feel that God is asking you to do that, please be ready. I'm going to ask you to come because it's our response to God's love. Coming to the front is a tiny sacrifice to say, I want to live in your love because then I can live out of your love. And then I can have a heart for the lost. So there's two groups that I really felt the Lord put on my heart that we want to pray for today. The first, if you don't really think or feel that you have ever truly been found in God. If you feel lost and lonely and isolated. And you are desperate to know that love. But you're not sure you've ever quite understood. We want to pray with you. Because the Lord is searching for you. Our Heavenly Father wants to embrace you. He wants to run to you. And he wants to speak celebration over your life. So if you are feeling lost, we want to pray for you. And the second is this. If you really want a heart for the lost and you are desperate to know what God's plan for your life looks like in that, perhaps with detail 
or just perhaps you want your heart to enlarge. For those who are feeling that, we want to pray with you. But what I think we should do is if your heart is for the lost and you want your heart to grow in that, you're going to be the ones to pray. Okay? <laughs> that's, that's your action. <laughs> to come and pray for those who feel that they are lost. Because what better place to start in this safe family where some of us actually aren't feeling it. And there's no shame in not feeling that we're loved fully by the Lord. And we haven't responded fully. There's no shame in that. That's an exciting thing to say, yeah, I want in. I want to fall into my father's arms today, this morning. So uh, the band, I think, are going to play.